In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Happy Mother's Day. Today is a day to give thanks to God for our mothers. And so indeed, to all the mothers in the room, thank you and good job. And to all the non-mothers in the room, thank you and good job. God calls each one of us, as St. Paul says, to specific vocations when it comes to marriage and children. And so to whichever route you were called, God has worked and is working in that. And as we celebrated a few months ago here at the cathedral on Mothering Sunday, we all have a true and good mother, our mother church, and indeed the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so thanks be to God. Today, this morning, however, unlike on Mothering Sunday, our scripture lessons take us in a slightly different direction than in the theme of motherhood. The theme, the golden thread, that runs through all of our lessons this morning is the unconditional and abundant love of God and how in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is in us. God's love precedes us and God is nearer than we think. And he's already working in our lives in ways that we don't even know. Turning to Acts, you'll recall last week we heard about Stephen, the first martyr. And we heard about Paul there hanging out on the sidelines, sort of tending the coat room as it were. Certainly helping oversee the stoning of Stephen. Now here, one week later, we've kind of jumped ahead in Acts a little bit, but really not that much. So just a short time later, we're encountering St. Paul, and now he's preaching the gospel in Athens, in the Areopagus, to the Greeks. Right there, we see the amazing work of God in the life of Paul, that he could take someone like Paul and transform him the way that he did. But here we have, we encounter Paul at the Areopagus. He's spreading the gospel to the Greeks. For one, this is a textbook performance, I would say, of how to share the gospel with someone. How wonderful that we see it here. Like Paul, we should never begin with or end with or even include, you are terrible, get your life together. That's not what Paul's preaching when he's sharing the gospel to the Athenians. He doesn't say, your statues are an abomination, which they were. But he says, I saw your statues. I see some good. I see God working. You're talking about the unknown God. Well, that God has made himself known. Let me tell you about him. And then Paul quotes one of their pagan poets. And so he says to his hearers, as we can and should as well, when we share the gospel, He says, God is already at work in your life. And then Paul connects the dots, and he helps them to understand how God is at work. He begins with what they know, 
rather than something entirely unfamiliar to them. And he says, God is already nearer than you think. God is closer to you than you realize. This is true for us today, just as much as it was true for the Athenians when Paul was telling them. God is already at work in your life. God wants to be found, and he's closer to you than you can even imagine. There may be some surprising ways that God is already at work in your life. God is not far away. He's not mad at you. He is close and working in your life already. There is no dark, angry, or mysterious deity behind the back of Jesus Christ. God really is like him, and he's working in your life. Notably here, Paul does not acquiesce to the culture of the Greeks, to the culture of the Athenians and the Areopagus. Rather, he baptizes it. He brings the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear upon their culture, transforming, sanctifying it. It's not unlike when Jesus rolls into Jerusalem and the religious leaders try to get Jesus to settle down his followers, and he says, if they don't cry out, the very stones will. That's what's happening here in some ways. The very stones, an altar to the unknown God, they're crying out. Our culture is crying out to God, too. Let us bring the gospel to bear upon it, drawing out what is good, sanctifying what needs sanctified. And Paul says God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. This man, we know, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Of this, he has given assurance to all of us by raising Jesus from the dead. And so each one of us here this morning has that same assurance that our sins are forgiven, and in Christ we live and move and have our being. This is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus for us in our place. And so here we see Paul proclaiming the gospel to the Greeks, telling them that God is at work in their lives already, and he's nearer than they think. Indeed, they live and move in him and have their being in him. And he is Jesus Christ, died and risen for them. And then turning to 1 Peter, just like Paul, Peter doesn't come at people with judgment. He says, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands an accounting, and do so with gentleness and with respect. Jesus suffered to bring people to God. He even preached to the dead in prison. Jesus loves hard cases like us. He loves everybody. As that wonderful prayer in the daily office in our Book of Common Prayer says, He stretched out his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that all might come within the reach of his saving embrace. And so Peter is here saying, even if you suffer for doing right, you are blessed. 
It's very much reminiscent of the Sermon on the Mount. Peter was there after all. He would have had this in the back of his mind, I'm sure, as he's writing this letter. And he's saying, even if you are suffering, you are still blessed. And so when you suffer, when you are stressed, God is with you, he says. Indeed, Jesus sweated blood in Gethsemane. God was with him. When Lazarus died, Jesus was shaken to the core, so much so that he wept, and God was with him. This is a powerful message to us who are suffering and to us who are stressed. And the truth is, we're all stressed in some capacity, and we will all suffer in some capacity if we haven't yet already. Because ultimately, we are all trying to cling to some thing other than God. We're all trying to cling to some identity other than Jesus Christ. We're all trying to do something like Jesus plus or Christianity plus. I am a conservative Christian or I am a progressive Christian or whatever. Peter says, don't be intimidated, but turn to Christ. Sanctify him as Lord. When you are stressed and when you suffer, God is with you. And Peter is writing to people who are suffering and people who are very stressed. He's writing during the time of Nero's persecution of the Christians, which was the first empire-wide persecution. Christians are being burnt as candles for Nero's garden parties. They're being crucified upside down, we are told. And they're being accused of all sorts of craziness. They're being accused of cannibalism because they say they eat the body and blood of Christ. They're being accused of atheism because they're rejecting the Roman gods. And as a Christian, you too will be accused of all sorts of craziness. And so Peter reminds us in this letter what the gospel is. Christ suffered for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God. We have been brought to God. And so now the world is going to accuse us of all sorts of things. But Peter draws us outside of ourselves and points us to Jesus Christ. He says, when you're suffering and when you're stressed, don't look inward. Don't look at your own heart. Don't look to your own faith. Don't ask yourself, do I believe? No, Peter says, Turn to God because God loves you. And he turns to the Old Testament in that wonderful reference to Noah and the flood. Everyone thought Noah was crazy, probably, right? He's building an ark. It's nice outside, no chance of rain. He's building this huge boat. And Peter says that was a prefigurement of baptism. And he says, we are saved through this baptism, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a relatively new way of thinking about being a Christian to say, I became a Christian when I said this prayer, or I became a Christian when I believed this. For most of the history of the church, Christians appealed to their baptism. They said, I'm a Christian because I have been baptized. 
and through it I've been saved. And so Peter says, when you suffer, when you are stressed, look outside yourself. Don't look to your own faith. Look to your baptism, he says, where Christ marked you as his own and sealed you with the Holy Spirit once and forever. People are going to accuse you and challenge your identity, he says. But remember, you have already been given your identity in Jesus Christ, who has died for you and risen again for you. And so don't look inward. It won't help you. Look to God. Look to Christ. Look to your baptism. Look to Jesus giving himself to you in his body and in his blood. That wonderful medicine of immortality, as the early church fathers called it. And so, when you suffer, when you're stressed, know God is with you by his Holy Spirit. He's nearer than you can even imagine. He's already at work in that particular area where you are anxious. And when you forget that, as you will, as I so often do, don't look inward. Don't look at your own heart. Look to God in Christ, in word and in sacrament, in baptism and in Eucharist. And then finally, turning to John, this wonderful speech of Jesus. It's a recalibrating, I think, of how we understand God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. By the way, this is not an if-then. This is not a quid pro quo. This is not guilt manipulation. It's not a prescription, but a description. Someone who loves Jesus follows his commandments. And his commandments are, John's not referring to the law necessarily here. He's not referring to specific this, that, or the other. But he's saying trust in Jesus. Trust in his grace. Trust in his love. And so, in a sense, he's saying, if you love me, then you will trust me. And we don't do it on our own. This is the good news. Jesus says, we have a Holy Spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, to help you, to pray for you when you don't know how to pray, to turn you outside yourself back to God when you can't do it yourself. And that Holy Spirit says Jesus abides in you. Jesus has not left us orphans. He is in us by the power of his Spirit, dwelling in our hearts. We are now God's temple, says Paul, because of that. And we pray this in our wonderful Eucharistic prayer, right? And in the prayer of humble access, that he may dwell in us and we may dwell in him. This is amazing. This is miraculous. I think sometimes we gloss over this and we don't think about what we're saying, what we're praying, what we're actually believing here. The God of the universe who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us dwells in us, and we live in him. We eat God. He gets into our very beings. We hear this in proclamation, we pray it, and we receive it in holy communion. And God enters into our sinews in the sacraments. We let God into our system. 
And so God is not the man upstairs. He's not far away. He's not far away and angry at us. He's not far away and cheering us on, hoping we'll make the right decision. God is nearer to us than we can imagine. God abides in us. And when we don't feel it, which we often won't, we can remember our baptism and look to that. And this recalibrates how we understand God. We see that God's love precedes everything, and he is nearer to us than we can imagine. And so in God, we live and we move and we have our being, and this God is Jesus Christ, died and risen for you. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell you forever. And so when you are stressed and when you suffer, as you will, look to God. Remember your baptism. Receive Holy Communion. And remember that God is working in your life in ways that you don't even know. Indeed, as our collect this morning prays, God has prepared for us such good things as pass our understanding. Amen.